0: Alright, well if you have your Bibles open up to Acts chapter 3, we're going to be in the full chapter of Acts today, 1 through 26. Now the reality is, is people can be selfish. We can be very me-focused. And this is true for when it comes to our relationships with one another, but it is also true when it comes to our relationship with God. Rarely, Do we pray for God's guidance, will, and for God to transform our hearts and minds, unless it's in a time of difficulty? Usually our prayers go something like this. God, I really want that promotion. Please give it to me. God, I really want this person to leave me alone. Please handle them. God, I really want, fill in the blank, a bigger house. I want more money, a new car, a bigger boat, etc. Whatever it is, that's how we usually approach prayer. Rather than saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we say, my kingdom come, my will be done, and God will you please bless it. That's how we come to God. But the reality is, is that God is more concerned with making you holy than he is with making you happy. He is concerned with your devotion to Him. He is concerned with your coming to be more like Christ than becoming more like yourself, more selfish, more self-centered. God desires to give us what we need more than He desires to give us what we want. Our wants, they tend to be superficial. And they may provide us with a temporary happiness, but what we need is not more stuff. What we need is more Jesus. What we need is more grace. What we need is transformation. What we need is to be made whole. And this is exactly what we're going to see in the text this morning, is that God provided for this man, this beggar. He provided him what he needed rather than what he Wanted. So, let's pray and then we'll start in the text. Father God, thank you. Thank you for giving us what what we need. And our greatest need is met in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything other than that counts as dung. We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful for the life that he gives us. We're so grateful for his generosity, his selflessness. And Lord, I pray that as we dive into this text this morning, Lord, we will be reminded of the grace that has been extended to us. That we will be reminded of the love that has been shown towards us. And I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate these scriptures. That they will touch our hearts, our minds, and our souls so that we can be transformed to look More like you. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Alrighty, so Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 are the first section we're going to read. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter looked direct, or directed his gaze at him, as did John, and they said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I do give to you. asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So our story begins with Peter and John, and they're going about their normal business. They're going about their normal business. It's the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. The the Jewish culture, they start their day at 6 in the morning, so nine hours from 6 a.m. is 3 p.m., and they're just going about their business. One thing we need to take away from this is that Peter and John Most likely, like the rest of the disciples, lived a normal life apart from the empowerment of God. And if the empowerment of God, it aided them in their healings and their casting out of demons and that type of stuff, but they were living a normal life. They weren't just sitting around waiting for God to work. They were living their lives and going about the business, their normal business, and in that, God was working. They didn't have to travel to a foreign country or go on a mission trip to do God's work. They did it right where they were. They kept their eyes open, they kept their heads on a swivel, and they were doing God's work. And you'll hear me say this once and maybe a thousand more times, but we need to remember that the... The mark of the Christian is that he is going and making disciples of all nations. We, we hear that quote from Matthew 28 all the time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we look at that and we read that in English and we see, okay, go, that means I have to go somewhere to do that. But if you look at the, the Greek text, which you don't have to, I'll tell you what it means. It's not go and do it, it's as you are going. As you are living your life, be Jesus to people. And that's what Peter and John are doing. They're being Jesus to people as they are living their lives. Their lives have been changed and impacted by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but their routines, at least for a little while, remained the same. Their routines were the same. They were going to the temple for worship. They were still living in the community that God had put them in, and they were still tied to the Jewishness of their heritage, and they lived their lives around those people. They didn't become monks. They didn't isolate themselves from others. Rather, they were among the people who needed Jesus. They were among the people who needed Jesus. And this is where he wants us to be, around others so that we can bring him glory. Now, this time of prayer, the third hour, this is one of the three, or the ninth hour, this is one of the three times that the Jewish people would come together to the temple for prayer. This specific time was one of the two daily sacrifices that took place at the temple. So they had two daily sacrifices. This was one of them. There would be a great crowd for the ceremony. So when most people took their time to go, and the people would be able to see the result of what was about to happen. Because there were going to be a lot of people present, this was a prime time. This was a prime time for this beggar to get there. Because there were going to be lots of people. And the more people that were there, the more likely he was going to receive what he thought he needed. What he thought he wanted. But one of the reasons that he would go to the temple and ask for alms, one commentator says this that the rabbis taught that there were three pillars for the Jewish faith the Torah, worship, and showing of kindness or charity. Almsgiving was one of the main ways to show kindness and was thus considered a major expression of one's devotion to God. With their mind set on worship, those who enter the temple for the evening sacrifice and prayer would be particularly disposed to practice their piety by generously giving alms to the lame beggar. So as they're approaching the temple, they were reminded of what they were told to do, which was to be generous. Then we're introduced to this beggar. So Peter and John are walking along and we're introduced to this beggar and we see that he was lame from birth. We find out in the next chapter, in verse 22 of chapter 4, that he was lame for over 40 years. Now, 40 years. This guy's old, right? Not by our standards, but by Jewish standards and in, in the first century. 40 years old, man, you are old. And since he came out of his mother's womb, this is important to, to show you because it shows that there's no way that he is faking an injury or an ailment. He's been lame forever. It's showing us that what is about to happen is truly a miracle. He wasn't just some guy planted there or a prop used by the apostles to gain notoriety. He was known and seen at this gate daily. Every day. He wasn't there on accident. It wasn't a coincidence that he was there at that time. He was divinely put in that place so that God could be glorified through this healing. So for the last 30 plus years, he was dropped at that gate, at that same place, so that people would see him and people would know that he was lame. And the sovereignty of God is at work because people would know that he had this ailment. And on this day, they would see a miracle. On this day, they would see something miraculous happen. He didn't get to the temple gate alone. He had to be brought there. He was carried there, presumably by friends and family. There were people there who day in and day out carried him to the gate so that he would be able to have some sort of income. He was a staple in that community, and he was relying on the kindness of others to provide for him. He was regularly seen and known by those present. He was, he was laid at the beautiful gate. This is important because the beautiful gate is an entrance to the temple courtyard. And it's described as Josephus, who was a, a Jewish historian in the first century, as being made of Corinthian bronze. And it was more beautiful and ornate than all the other gates that it far exceeded in value those gates that were plated with silver and set in gold. So this wasn't some ordinary, puny gate. This was a gate that was beautiful, and it was so big, it took 20 men to open and close it. So it was a big gate, and here in the beauty of the gate, we see the beauty of the gate, but what we're about to see pales in comparison. That beauty of the gate pales in comparison to the beauty that's about to be displayed. That is where the beggars sat day in and day out, watching people worship God watching people walking to the temple to accept the, the sacrifice and forgiveness for their sins. He was watching from the distance. And he was broken, and he was hopeless, and he was relying on the generosity of others. And this man was in a fantastic surprise. So rather than walking he was, or watching, he was about to be participating in God, the worship of God. And there's something special about beggars. There's something special about them because they always know who's going to give them money. They always are able to find the person in the crowd and lock eyes with them and say, I know that person's going to give me money. They've been doing it forever, right? They know. And so he sees Peter and he sees John and they look like those type of people. They look like those type who are generous and ready to help out. And they had a certain look or a glow about them. It was Jesus. But so he asked them for alms. Now this isn't a direct correlation, okay? But it reminds me of being at a baseball game and watching the guys walk up and down the aisles. At the baseball game and go popcorn, get your popcorn here. This guy was saying alms, I need your alms, give me your money, right? Um, and Peter and John, what they do is they respond and they demonstrate a incredible compassion towards this man. They say, "Hey, look at me, look at me in the eyes." Right? Focus on me. Stop looking around and focus on what is about to happen because what is about to happen is going to blow your mind. I'm not sure if you've ever been around beggars, but I will tell you that especially if they are well-known, like I, I think about the beggars on the, on the side of the streets or in subways, and people will walk by them, they'll drop money in a hat, or they'll, they'll hand them money, but they don't ever look at them. They don't ever make eye contact with them. And they definitely don't ask for their attention. Hey, look at me. Look at what I'm about to do. They don't ask for their attention. It's uncomfortable, it's awkward, and it's taboo. But t- Peter tells this man, look at me. I want you to know that you are not a prop or a fixture or an annoyance, but you are a person, and you have a name, and I see you, and God sees you. And he, you are a person that God loves. He is broken. You are broken, and you need healing. So Peter says, look at me. Now remember, Peter and John had just gotten off this high. This high of seeing 3,000 souls saved at the preaching of one sermon. But this one man is just as important as those 3,000 souls that were saved. This one man is cared for. This one man is cherished. This one man is being sought after by God. So this man looks at Peter, and he looks at John, and he's looking at them with expectation, what are they going to give me? He's probably thinking, they're having me look at them. They look like they're generous. I'm about to cash in. It's about to come. The money's going to come raining down. And then immediately, he's disappointed. Because what does Peter say? He says, I have no silver or gold. Then what are you doing here? Why are you having me look at you? Why are you having me focus on you? you? You came over to me, you know I need money, and you tell me you don't have any. I can only imagine that's what's going through this man's mind. You come to me, you tell me to stop asking other people for money, you tell me to stop doing what I need to do to be not broke. It's ridiculous. But Peter has something more magnificent in mind. Peter has something greater in mind. See, Peter sees through this man's perceived need, and he sees the reality of what he needs. He sees that he needs healing, restoration, and wholeness. The beggar thinks he wants money, but there are things that are more precious than gold and than silver. So Peter says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Notice that this healing takes place through the power of the name of Jesus. Jesus is a name above every other name. Jesus gets the glory. Jesus gets the praise. Jesus gets the honor. Peter couldn't heal this man. John couldn't heal this man. No individual could heal without the power of the name of Jesus. He says, "Jesus, or P, get up and walk." He people don't heal miraculously. No matter how much they want to convince you that they do, they don't heal miraculously. Jesus does. And to invoke the name of Jesus is to call upon His authority and His power in a real sense. Then Jesus, through Peter, has continued His healing ministry. Jesus is continuing His healing ministry. You see, Jesus never had to invoke a power. Never needed to invoke a name outside of itself because he is the power. Because he is the author of life. Because he is the one who came to restore and to set things right. Peter and the other apostles, they could only do these mighty works through the power given to them by Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus represented his power and his authority over the brokenness of the world. This man immediately at the name of Jesus, when he said, rise and walk, immediately he was up and he was walking and he was leaping and he was praising God. There wasn't any wobble in his step. I think about that scene in the movie Bambi, when Bambi's just born and she's trying to learn how to walk. Or he, I don't, is Bambi a boy or girl? I don't even know. Okay, Bambi's trying to learn to walk, and she's wobbling her knees all over the place, right? She can't get her step, but this guy, immediately after 40 years of not being able to walk, is immediately walking. And he's not just walking, but he's leaping, and he's praising God. He is immediately made strong, and what is his response? His response is to respond with goodness and graciousness towards God through praise. He was probably pretty loud in drawing attention to himself. He just he's walking, he's leaping, he's he's saying, Hey, look at what God's done to me. Have you ever been in a crowded room? Somebody starts walking and leaping and and shouting to God? It'd be awkward. It'd draw your attention for sure. Even in a church it draws like cross glances. Hey, what's going on over there? But he was doing and he was doing this in the temple. I want you to know this that this man had never been able or been allowed to get into the temple. He could have never been brought into the temple. According to Leviticus 21, this man was barred from the temple because of his lameness. He was unable to enter into the temple to worship God, and now he is leaping through the temple, praising God for his miraculous healing. It's no accident that this lame man was leaping. This is a sign of the coming kingdom that God promised. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, it says this, Then shall the lame man leap like deer. When the Messiah comes to restore all, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. So every day for this man's adult life, he watched men and women walk into the temple to worship God. He watched as they go about their day, taking for granted the access to the temple that they had taking for granted their ability to simply walk, going through the motions as they just did what they always did, what they were supposed to. But this man, he was longing to worship. He was longing to be in God's presence, but he was unable to because of his brokenness. And now he was leaping and praising and worshiping God with his whole body, with his whole heart, and with his whole mind because he had been restored. Because he had been made new. Those who saw this man were filled with wonder. They were filled with amazement because they all recognized him. They all knew who he was. That he was that lame man that had been there my whole life begging for alms. And now he is praising God. They all knew how helpless he was. They all knew that he needed, rest, that he needed to be restored. That he was broken. And they saw that. Something miraculous and marvelous happened at the temple that day. A man that had been lame since birth gained restoration and healing by the power of Jesus' name. And he was restored because God saw him. God saw his need and provided for him. God loved him deeply and knew that this event would be used to bring more glory and praise to God alone. And even though this miraculous event happened, something even more miraculous was going to occur. The preaching and the reception of the gospel. This miracle led Peter into a new opportunity to preach the gospel to those who are present. So in Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26, this is what we see. And when he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know in the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said the Lord will rise up. For you, a prophet like me from your brothers, you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who come after have proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and your offspring shall be all the families of and your offspring, offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. One thing we have to know is that the miracles of God always point to the message of Jesus. The miracles of God always point to the message of Jesus. And this is no exception. The man now clung to Peter he clung to john not because he was weak or not because he needed assistance in walking but because he was excited and he didn't want to let go he didn't want to let go of these men they ran together to the to the solomon's portico and a huge crowd gathered a crowd gathered and they took this and peter took this opportunity to explain what they had just seen the miracle didn't come from them alone they weren't powerful enough they weren't pious enough, they weren't religious enough to make this happen, but it came from Jesus. The miracle didn't happen because of anything other than the name and the power of Jesus. When the miracle occurs, it always points to Jesus. No one is good enough, obedient enough, powerful enough to produce any miracles apart from the power and the grace of God. This is where so many of the false gospels and false teachings get it wrong. If God wants to do a miracle, it will always be done because he wants it to happen. Because he's going to receive the glory. Not because you prayed enough. Not because you were good enough or devoted enough. Not because you were obedient enough, but because he wants to do a mighty work. That's why miracles happen. And the most miraculous thing that happens is not a healing, though that is amazing but the fact that jesus comes and he offers his whole life for you so that you can be transformed the greatest miracle of all is salvation in the name of jesus christ that's the greatest miracle the miracle is that jesus came and he came to earth and he lived the perfect life he died on the cross and he was raised again so that we could have a relationship with god the greatest miracle of all is restoration into a relationship with god that's the greatest miracle Now, Peter says that the same God that you worship, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, is glorifying Jesus through these miraculous signs. Jesus, the one that you crucified, is being glorified. Jesus, the one who you wanted to put to death, is now bringing new life. His servant, Jesus, is the one who deserves the glory. Jesus deserves all the glory. We simply need to obey, and Jesus will bring healing. Peter, in this mini-sermon, will not quote Old Testament Scripture, but he does use Old Testament language to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. The first image that Peter uses in this is uh, the image of God's servant. And this would point us back to Isaiah and the servant songs found in the last part of Isaiah. See, Jesus didn't come to rule with an iron fist. He came to serve. He came to love. He doesn't win through destruction, but through service and through sacrifice. In Mark ten forty five he says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't demonstrate his authority through power and through conquering people. He demonstrated his authority and he demonstrated his power through the washing of feet. And he demonstrated his conquering of sin through the ultimate service of giving up his life for us. Then Peter calls Jesus the holy and righteous one. In Psalm 53, or, yeah, 53 3, it says this, They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not, no, not one. There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. Except for Jesus. And here Peter is equating Jesus to the holiness and the righteousness of God. That Jesus that you turned over to death is the God that you claim to worship. He has been glorified by God because he is righteous and holy. Something that we as people could never be. We can never be righteous and holy apart from Jesus. Finally, Peter calls, calls Jesus also the author of life. There is one creator, there is one sustainer, there is one who is the author of life. And in their wickedness and ignorance, they consigned him to death. They meant to have him dead, but God raised him up. God demonstrated Jesus' perfection and validity when he raised him from the dead. Jesus has authority because he is the author And he has authority and power because he is God. And it is by his authority and his power that Jesus does these things. It is the same Jesus that made that man strong. It is the same Jesus that restored that man. It is that same Jesus that that man was healed by. And it is by Jesus that this has been done so that we may believe. So that those present may believe. That that they and we may repent of our sins and have not physical healing, but spiritual healing. And Jesus extends that to us. He extends that to us, that through his sacrifice, we can be healed spiritually, that all of our sin will be wiped away, that they will be blotted out, that they will be forgiven, that the brokenness that takes us away from God will be restored and wiped clean so that we can be with God. All of our sins. The sins that we committed out of Ignorance and the sins that we committed out of blatant disregard for God's word. When we come to Jesus, we'll be refreshed. We'll be restored. We will be renewed. We will be washed clean. This is what the prophets of old talked about. This is the new heart that we have been promised. This is the fact that we can be made new. We can be washed clean. That we can be made whole. Jesus came so that he could bless all people and restore them to the goodness of God. And he's crying out to people today. He's saying, be renewed, be restored. Find your hope, find your joy, find your restoration and peace in me. This servant, Jesus, came to heal. He came to restore, and he came to transform and save the lost. And this is as true for us as it was for them. Jesus came to save people. Jesus came to make a new people for himself. Jesus came because he wants you to know and love him. He came because he wants you to have a relationship with him. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, he wants you to know that he sees you, that he cares about you, that he loves you. He's calling you to a life of union with him. He wants you to repent of your sins. He wants you to, to love and follow after him. We need to recognize that we need Jesus. We need to recognize that you are sinful, that you need forgiveness, that you need Jesus. and He's offering that to you. He's calling you to himself. Will you answer him? Will you respond to him in humility? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, how should we respond to this text? How should we respond to what is happening in the story? We don't see people renewed like that, but how do we respond? One of the ways that we respond is we care for those who are hurting around us. Open our eyes. Look around. Focus on things other than yourself. Don't have your head down in your phone but look around and see those who are hurting. Don't be caught so, so caught up in our day-to-day life that we miss what's happening right in front of us, that we miss those who are hurting right in front of us. There are hurting people all around us. So what do we need to do? We need to care for them. We also respond by telling other people about the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, that even if they don't want to hear it, they need to hear it. They need to hear about the good news of Jesus, and it may cost you something. It may cost you something. What's going to happen in chapter 4, which we'll talk about next week, is Peter and John are going to be thrown in jail and thrown before a tribunal, and they're going to be persecuted because of their belief and because of their proclamation of Jesus. But another 5,000 people are saved because of the proclamation that happens this time. So the proclamation of the word does come with consequences, but they're good consequences. Sometimes we can be persecuted, but there's, those are bad consequences. But they're good consequences that some people are saved. Not everybody, but some will be. But even if people don't think they need to hear the gospel, they do. And we need to be the ones to bring it to them. Remember the name of the one who saved you, Jesus Christ. Rely on him. Praise Him, love Him, be devoted to Him. He has all authority. He has all power. And He has granted you access to that power as a faithful follower of Him. This is what one pastor, John Piper, says about Jesus' authority. And I just had to, it's just amazing. He says this, he says, All authority. He has all authority over Satan and all demons, over all angels, good and evil, over the natural universe, natural objects, and laws and forces, stars, galaxies, planets, meteorites, authority over all weather systems, winds, rains, lightning, thunder, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, typhoons, cyclones, authority over all their effects, tidal waves. Floods, fires, authority over all mo- molecular and atomic reality. Atoms, electrons, protons, neutrons, undiscovered subatomic particles. Quantum physics, genetic structures, DNA, chromosomes. All authority over all plants and animals. Great and small. Whales and wet- redwoods. Squid, giant squid and giant oaks. All fish, all wild beasts. All invisible animals and plants. Bacteria. Bacteria viruses, parasites, germs, authority over all parts and functions of the human body, every beat of the heart, every breath of the diaphragm, every electrical jump across the million synapses in our brains, authority over all nations and governments, Congress and legislators, presidents and kings and, and premiers and courts, authority over all armies and weapons and bombs and terrorists, authority over all industry and business and finance and currency. currency, authority over all entertainment and amusement and leisure and media, over all education and research and science and discovery, authority over all crime and violence, over all families and neighborhoods, over all the church and over every soul and every moment of every life that has ever been and will ever be lived. Jesus Christ is the authority over all. Sometimes our all, we we get so short-minded and short-sighted as to what all means, but when Jesus says he's the authority over all, Is the authority over all. We need to proclaim that authority to others. We need to proclaim that He is not only just the authority over all, but He is good. He's not just scary, but He is good. He is a good God who loves people, who wants to restore people, who wants to transform people. That's who He is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the love that you have shown us. Thank you for the grace that you have given us. Thank you for the fact that you are overall. That your authority knows no bounds. We're thankful for the fact that you save people. That you love people. That when you see us, you don't see some faceless number, Lord, but you see our hearts you see our souls you see our desperate need for who you are and for what you've done and we're so grateful for that thank you for transforming lives for transforming hearts for drawing us to you and it's in jesus name we pray